I have many questions Please. for you. Ambassador Tsui, 40 years ago, Deng Xiaoping and Jimmy Carter, as we all know, made a decision that changed the world, and that was to establish diplomatic relations for China and the United States. And in doing so, to merge the interests of over a billion people on different ends mm. of the planet. 40 years later, do you think that they have achieved as countries, as people, what the original architects had in mind? Yeah, I think the answer is a clear yes. The world is changed. So are our two countries, but for the better. Both countries have benefited from 40 years of diplomatic relation, and the world as a whole has also benefited from it. You see, think about history. Back in the 1950s and 60s, we had two hot wars in the years of Cold War in Asia. But since the uh, so-called reopening of America to China, or reopening of China to America, since Kissinger Nixon's visits, and especially since the uh, normalization of relations, Asia-Pacific is now, on the whole, peaceful and stable. Well, there are still a couple of hot spots remaining, but it's under control. We're handling them, and we're even working together on these things, like the Korean Peninsula. And economically, this Asia-Pacific is very different from 40 years ago. Now it's one of the main powerhouse of a global economy. I think, frankly, China and the United States can take a lot of credit from this. And so we are very grateful to people like President Carter and Mr. Deng Xiaoping for taking that historic decision with great courage and vision. A few weeks after January 1st, 1979, Deng Xiaoping went to the United States and he said when he was standing on the South Lawn of the White House, uh, the world today is far from tranquil. There are not only threats to peace, but the factors making for war are visibly growing. There has been no world war since 1979. And I've heard it said in the last couple of days that no American soldier has died on a battlefield in East Asia since 1979. Do you think that the US-China relationship is a direct contributor to that peace? Yes, of course, yeah. Especially for Asia-Pacific. Uh, I think 40 years ago, it was still hard to imagine that we could have such a overall peace and stability in Asia-Pacific. But now, this is a reality. Sometimes people take these things for granted. They tend to forget how hard peace was won. When Deng Xiaoping was in the United States, one of the stopovers was in the Johnson Space Center, and he climbed into the lunar rover, and then he went into a spacecraft simulator. And of course, China was a country where the vast majority were living in poverty in those days. Fast forward to a couple of days ago, China is the first country in the world to explore the far side of the moon. With all that advance in technology, with all the innovations that have become part of contemporary China, 
How best do you think China as a country can apply its innovation so it benefits humanity? I think that's the, actually that's the purpose of China's efforts in developing science and technology. Of course, our goal is to bring better life to the Chinese people. But we're also ready to contribute more to the progress of entire humanity, including in terms of science and technology. And I think, honestly, United States is still the leading country in science and in most of the technology. China is still learning from the U.S. and others and try to catch up. Our efforts is not to replace them, but to cooperate with them for in present countries for the greater good of the entire mankind. But they'll look at these innovations, they'll see these pictures from the far side of the moon, and they'll see that as a threat, a lot of people do. They say that this science and technology is being used to advance China without putting people up around it. What do you say in trying to get people to understand the China that you know? You've grown up in China. You represent China. Why is it so different to the other China that people talk about? You see, China, I think the 1.4 billion Chinese people, we are working very hard for the modernization of the nation and try to realize our two centenary goals. And that will include the efforts of our scientists. I don't think there's anybody in China who are planning any invasion of another country, so-called regime change in another country, or enforcing our system or ideology on others. There's no such plan in China, and no one is doing these things in China. But maybe there are people who are doing all these things in other countries. And so by default, they may apply their own internal fears to what they think China might be projecting? Well, if we look at history of the past half century or since the end of the Second World War, it's quite clear which country or which countries have invaded others most of the time, which countries have tried regime change all over the world, and which countries are fully engaged in the pursuit of peaceful development. I think the fact is so clear. Which country is that? Well, we don't have to name them. The end of 1978, the beginning of 1979, was a monumental few weeks for the world. Although people may not necessarily know it, you had January 1st, 1979, where of course, Uh, two great nations on this planet decided to be real friends and to work together in the future. And just a couple of weeks before that, when they made that decision, Deng Xiaoping in China began the reform and opening up process that changed everything for the majority of the world. Those two events I've heard you speak about in recent weeks especially are closely interlinked that opening up China's domestic policy meant opening up China's outreach to the world, its foreign policy as well. Is there an experience from within that that China can share with everybody and say, well, that's worked for us, that could work for you as well? 
Well, I think actually the couple of years when Deng Xiaoping came back to power at the end of the Cultural Revolution, uh, the historic change in China started maybe initially not many people noticed it but I think it all started with Deng Xiaoping's call to emancipate the mind and seek truth from facts and China reassessed the global situation and come to the conclusion that there's no imminent danger of a global war so China should focus itself on economic development on its modernization drive. That's why we launched reform and opening up. And we believe in order to achieve that goal, we could not do it in isolation. We have to build better, stronger relations with our neighbors and with the major powers in the world, like the United States. So if you look at the diplomatic schedule of Deng Xiaoping in these months, he visited our neighbors, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, before the third plenum of the 11th Central Committee, because that conference took the decision for reform and opening up. At the same time, negotiations were going on between China and the United States to normalize relations. So actually, the announcement, the joint communique was published two days before the party plenum took the decision for reform and opening up. Then shortly after that, in late January 1979, Deng Xiaoping came to the United States for his nine-day visit, which was unusually long, but very fruitful, very historic visit. So I think all this, if we can say, was part of a, if we may borrow the term, grand strategy for China to really launch its modernization drive to focus on economic development and to contribute more to global peace and stability and start a new relationship with countries like the United States. You mentioned that nine-day visit to the United States. I spoke to President Carter this morning and he said that when he extended that invitation, he got an answer in 24 hours. And I think what he was trying to say is that it was an indicator of the quick but also strong decisions that Deng was able uh, to make. I know that you remember that period yourself because uh, Deng went to the Space Center, as we said, he went to the White House, he went to Texas, he put that cowboy hat on. (laughs) He was a sensation in many ways. He was uh, the first Chinese leader in a long time that people had got to see for themselves in their own homeland. Um, As an ordinary Chinese yourself at that time in Shanghai, what do you think Deng's visit and his nine days in the United States did for young Chinese everywhere at that time? Well, a great deal. First of all, it opened up great opportunities for all the young people in China to pursue their studies, to work for a much better future. And specifically, you see, every time I met with President Carter, he would like to tell me the story. He was a 
he got a call at mid middle of night yes. from his uh, science advisor in Beijing. He said Deng Xiaoping wanted to send students to the United States, and President Carter said they are absolutely welcome. So. This is also part of the decision they took at the time, and I myself personally benefited from that decision. Some years later, I came to the United States to pursue my graduate studies. So without Deng Xiaoping's visit, without the decision he took with President Carter to open the doors for exchange of students, I would not have had the opportunity to come here. And you had. An incredible start to your career. You went to the United Nations.、Yeah. Uh, you engaged with the international community on behalf of your country and for yourself as well. What does globalization mean to you? I think globalization is a fact of life, because in today's world, maybe thanks to the、uh, development of、uh, technology, people are more connected. It doesn't matter whether they are in the U.S., in China, in Africa. You can get connected instantly. So information flow is much greater and more powerful than ever before. Now the exchange of people, the flow of goods and services, everything is almost globalizing. Of course, this is mainly driven by the advancement of science and technology. And driven by the economic imperatives, I don't think people can really reverse the trend. But in the meantime, we have to be very careful about how the benefit is shared equitably by everybody. How we can achieve a inclusive, open, and mutually beneficial process of globalization. I think this is actually. The challenge in the last few years for the international community. Mohammed Yunus, the pioneer of microfinance, has spoken about this as well, saying that China has managed to emulate the success of the traditional powers in its own economy, but wouldn't want to copy the failings of that same success, which is of course social inequity and the big gaps between、yeah. the rich.、Yeah. And the poor. What is a way forward? And I ask you because China managed to find a solution to poverty, and if China can do it on the scale of hundreds of millions of people, surely that means it's possible anywhere. So conversely, now when we go to the next stage of development, what's a solution for inequity and the injustices that come out of that, out of being poor, out of not having a job,、mm-hmm. out of having to pull your children out of school? How do you solve that gap in society? I think it's important to make sure that people have access to these opportunities. If poor kids could have, could have access to good education, they could change their life. They could make their own contribution to the society. Of course, there may be groups of people who. Are more vulnerable than others. For instance, people with disabilities and maybe old age and so on. Then, it is our duty to take good care of them,、uh, especially for the government. The government has to adopt policies that will take care 
of the needs of these vulnerable people. So the benefits of globalization, the benefits of technological progress will be more equitably shared. You've talked about the progress in technology and how we're all reliant on it and how that's driving a new kind of globalization. And then you talked about Deng Xiaoping talking about seeking um, the truth. Yeah. Is that now very complex and difficult to establish the truth in a world of technology where there's fake news, where there's such a rapid spread yeah. of information yeah. that it can't always be controlled? Yeah, I think people are still learning how to act or behave uh, responsibly in this information age. Because now everybody is free to receive information or to send out information to try to influence others. But honestly, there are cases of so-called fake news every now and then. Uh, sometimes it's very difficult for individuals to distinguish. So I think governments and institutions and the whole society have to work out some rules and some uh, code of conduct, if I may use the term, for people to behave in a responsible way, in a responsible way in this uh, information age. In a way that's decent and respectful of yes, one another. Yes, yes. I want to return a bit now to the China-US conversation again, because we talked about that in the beginning, then we moved on to a global part, because of course that's what it informs. Uh, Jimmy Carter credits China and the US for significantly securing global peace, and their economies for driving and generating global prosperity. But he says, as you know very well, that the relationship is in jeopardy and that if misperceptions and miscalculations are allowed to continue, then these two countries could be at the head of what he called a modern Cold War. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? I think there may be people out there with some real intention to initiate a kind of new Cold War between China and the United States. We have to guard against these attempts. But at the same time, I think the uh, common interests, the growing common interests between the two countries are clear. They are just there. Uh, so if we can really focus on the growing common interests and mutual needs between the two countries, I think the choice is quite clear. We should cooperate rather than to have a Cold War against each other. One of the important developments of the past year is, of course, the trade war between the two countries. I, I don't want to just talk about the trade war because that could come and go, but rather talk about the fundamental mindset. Do you think that this event is going to permanently alter this great 40-year relationship? And in any case, will China look elsewhere for other partners or expand its existing partnerships? Well, you see, China and the United States were the two largest economies in the world. So a trade war would hurt both countries and probably hurt the global economy. I think the uh, 
consequences of the trade disputes of the last couple of years are already felt, not only in the two countries, but also globally. That's why there's a widespread concern about continuation of such dispute without a clear solution in sight. I think we should speed up our work to conclude the current round of consultation to find practical, effective, and mutually beneficial solutions to the existing issues. Of course, there will be, if we solve all the existing issues, new things might come up. But we have always handled these things in a spirit of mutual respect, mutual benefit. You're not just a highly skilled career diplomat. Uh, you're known for being very kind and very thoughtful. Um, obviously, you travel the world and you take in different opinions. What would you want Americans to know about China and the Chinese people? I hope Americans, American people, could have a much better knowledge of the real China. Not the China sometimes reported in some of the media here. Uh, not the China that some of the uh, so-called strategists are writing about. That's not the real China. Honestly, some people here are trying to demonize China. What they are talking about, what they are imposing on the American people is not the reality in China. So I hope and I think my job here, or part of my job here, is to facilitate this kind of better mutual understanding between the two countries. If someone wants to learn about China um, and to acquire a serious understanding of this fascinating country in the process, how do you suggest they go about it? What's the first step? Well, there are a lot of good books we read. Uh, if, they are, if they are interested in history, they could certainly start with some reading of Chinese history. That will certainly help them. And of course, if they can go to China and see for themselves, I think seeing is really believing. It will be most convincing for people to go there and see what the Chinese are doing every day, what their aspirations are, what the country's goal is, and uh, it's, it's not very difficult. You just go there and try to see what is happening there and try to talk to the Chinese people, to listen to the Chinese people, to see the evolving China story there. It's quite clear and a lot of misunderstanding will be gone. These are two countries that are very different in some aspects. Language yeah. being one, culture being another, their beginnings, their systems of governance, of course. Do you think that there is the capacity in the future for America to 
say, yes, we have a number two economy not so far behind us these days, and we can give a bit of space and we can lead together. Is that in the capacity to do that? I think Chinese people have every right to seek a better life. This is our inalienable right. Nobody can deprive us of this kind of right. So whether others are happy or not, China will continue to develop but peacefully. Chinese people will continue to work hard for a better life. But at the same time, China's development is not and has not been and will not be at the expense of anybody else. On the contrary, China's development enables China to contribute more to global economic growth, global peace and stability. For instance, starting from this year, 2019, China is the second largest contributor to United Nations regular budget and peacekeeping expenses. Of course, the United States is still the largest contributor. China is number one. So we are catching up. We are taking up greater international responsibility. And at the same time, I don't think China and the United States would become identical any time in the future. This is impossible. Why should we have a, a, a world that all countries are identical to each other? This is going to be a very dull world. We have to respect and make best use of the diversity. So because China has a different culture, because China has much longer history, because China even has a different language, I think that all this is a kind of attraction to many Americans. And of course, America is always a fascinating place for many Chinese. So this will motivate people of both countries to learn more about uh, to learn more about the other side, and with such mutual understanding, there will be a stronger friendship. I think this is great news for the world. I'd like to finish our conversation by returning to the two architects of the Chinese relationship. Ambassador, you've said a number of times that people shouldn't lose sight of why this relationship began, that it was in pursuit of global peace and that a certain element of global peace has been directly achieved because of these two countries. When you look at pictures of Deng Xiaoping and Jimmy Carter and you go to Google and you, and you look, there's so many pictures of them where they're physically touching each other. Uh, clasping each other's hands, hugging each other, embracing one another. And Jimmy Carter said yesterday, and, and you heard him say this as well, that this relationship and the people that represent this relationship should now go forward and create uh, a new partnership which really is based not only on mutual respect, but he also used the word based on love. Is that still possible? Well, I think for international relations, maybe most of the time, they are based on common interests. And this is certainly the case for China and the United States. Of course, if people 
from different countries just love each other. This is great. But you cannot expect everybody to do that. So as relation between two great countries, I think it's important to identify our growing common interests and base the relationship on that common interest. Ambassador Chi Tingai, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a great pleasure talking to you.